Welcome to King Size, a Stephen King podcast for obsessives by obsessives. With Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Halloween time that we, uh, for our Halloween special, that we found ourselves staying uh, at the Overlook. We we had the choice of um, the Overlook, um, Derry, or uh, Salem's Lot, and we uh, and I think I chose chose the Overlook uh, for where we'd hang out together. And this week we find ourselves hanging out in a similarly spooky place um i don't know what is it with us and king and spooky spaces right i it's almost like he does this for a living welcome to the hotel dolphin mr robinson do you have a reservation is that a real key you're giving me an actual key and not one of those key cards that never works <laughs> yes the key cards that never work never work uh this is an actual <laughs> physical key i promise you will let you into your room but um perhaps i could have a conversation with you a private conversation in in my office and um, talk a little bit about your about your reservation because really um what i'd like to do is upgrade you to the presidential suite well i mean yeah now you're talking but i do really have my heart set on one particular room and and if you've got a a lovely warming beverage to pass the time as we have our little chats then uh i'm up for that but my heart is set on this one room i'm afraid there's nothing I can say that would uh, dissuade you from taking this particular room. <laughs> I've got my cigarette tucked behind my ear. I'm all ready to go. There are some things that uh, you do need to know about this room, though. Nobody has lasted more than an hour in this room. And? There have been a number of deaths in this particular room. A- any hotel of this kind of size, you're going to have maybe, unfortunately, some people... Moving on to the great hotel in the sky in a room. I mean, that's not going to scare me. Well, there have been, yes, as you say, a, a number of natural deaths mm. in the room, mm. um, regioning somewhere in the 30s. 30 yeah. odd people have died of natural causes in your room, sir. Wow. Right. Okay. Uh, hmm. Oh, okay. You, you're saying natural. You, you, by that, I'm taking that there's unnatural. Causes oh yes, as well? a number of a number of suicides. Um, people have um, mutilated themselves. Uh huh. And um, one person actually drowned in his soup. You can't drown in soup. He managed to find a way, sir. You know that presidential suite you mentioned. Is that still going up for grabs? So what? What if you've just tuned in and you go? What? What are they going on about? What's what's this? What what room are we talking about, Sai? What are we talking about here? 
We are talking about room 1408. <laughs> I, I do need to say right off the bat, though, um, of course, everybody, including myself, will refer to it as room 1408. One of my former maths teachers would definitely have picked me up on that and said, no, no, O is a is a letter, not a not a number. So technically it should be 1408, but nobody calls it that. <laughs> but if you if, if you want another bit of a logic to that argument, um, think of it like this. Daniel Craig is one of the most recent actors to have played James Bond 007. And of course, that is his name, because if it was the uh the letters transferred in its place, he would be ooh, seven. <laughs> so we're, we're bending the rules a little bit here. 1408 that is what it's called and that is what we are going to call it so and if your maths teacher is tuning in and, and is a, a a listener and a fan of the podcast then um yeah you can see you after after class all right well i'll i'll, I'll make my argument yeah i'll make my case <laughs> yes exactly exactly and, and see if he wants to stay in the room so what's 1408 tell us about First time you, you can you remember when you read that, Sai, or or your experience with with the short story? I don't remember my first reading of it. Um, I do remember my obviously obviously remember my last most two readings of it. One was in blissful Canadian sunshine, which was very hot. Mm-hmm. And actually, my most recent reading was in the freezing cold. So I've kind of read it in two. Uh, opposite climates. It's no less unnerving in either in either temperature. It did, uh, maybe which perhaps speaks a little bit um, to the nice coincidence of reading it in in both of those things, where the where, where the uh, temperature seems to change a lot, mm, mm. Um, and suddenly it's it, it's really freezing, and then it's on fire. King writes in about fourteen oh eight. I love this little introduction that he does uh, within Everything's Eventual. As well as the ever-popular premature burial, every writer of shock or suspense tales should write at least one story about the ghostly room at the inn. This is my version of that story. The only unusual thing about it is that I never intended to finish it. I wrote the first three or four pages as part of an appendix for my on-writing book, wanting to show readers how a story evolves from first draft to second. Most of all, I wanted to provide concrete examples of the principles I've been blathering about in the text. But something nice happened. The story seduced me, and I ended up writing all of it. I think that what scares us varies widely from one individual to the next. But this story scared me while I was working on it and getting seduced by the story. I mean, we've been getting seduced by King's stories all our life. And it's lovely to know that he's not uh, immune to it himself either. Yes, that's quite encouraging. I think it's a nice, easy slip into imagining himself as Mike in that room. Because we've got, like, <laughs> um, uh, the road virus up north, we've got another writer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, that was my very first note. So I was like, protagonist, yet another writer, exclamation mark. You just can't keep away. Can't keep away from them. No, they did have a certain attraction to him. Yeah. Um, and we've got moving paintings. Yes. Tick again. <laughs> um, so it's a nice, uh, 
nice partner to uh, that road virus loop north. And there's that brilliant bit in the text where uh, King writes about hauntings are, after all, your business. Um, and that's what he does, right? We've spoken about when we did it, you know, the use of the word haunt, a haunt. What does that mean? And uh, yeah, hauntings are, after all, your business. I think that's a nice little uh, summary of what, what King does, right? <laughs> What he does, yes. Uh, what Mike does mm. is is the opposite. In in that respect, I think he's um, you know he's staying in all these all these places and experiencing absolutely nothing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and is you know constantly getting all these wonderful folk stories from the uh, the locals or the owners of the hotel, um, and saying you know what's happened here. And all the places that Mike has has stayed mm. and slept and spent the night mm. experienced absolutely nothing. Yeah. So they are they are his they are as you say his business, but it's a very his heart's not really in it, is it? He doesn't. He's not doing it, going in to the rooms hoping that something will happen. Yeah. He's always going and think this is complete hokum and nonsense, and the supernatural does not exist. Yeah, it's built. Well, he calls them bill payers. No, you know, essays, tales. No, he refers to them as bill payers. These tales that he writes, he's really cynical, really detached. Yeah, absolutely at the heart of it, but feeling nothing. And interestingly enough, in the in the adaptation, we mm. get this wonderful backstory as to why his heart is, um broken shut down um why he is so removed that we don't get in in the book uh in the short story mm. as much yeah that he, he's written the way home I yes called. yeah um which was a book that a lot of people responded very very well to did well critically it seemed mm. like it was mm. very moving and unfortunately um, he then abandoned that, probably because it didn't pay the bills, mm. um, and then started writing, as you say, the bill payers, which is a nice expansion in the in the film, as you say. The other bits of the film, I think, I, I felt could it didn't it didn't need quite so much, and sort of felt like it was like they were put in there to make it a film, yeah, in terms of running time rather than yes, what perhaps could have been a a, a, a solid our television film right now it could have been one of the nightmares and dreamscapes quite comfortably for those that haven't yet read and again obviously as you know um listeners we are going to be um inevitably revealing a few spoilers because you can't really talk about this stuff without doing that um but um yeah I, 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 you know it's about 30 odd pages in everything's eventual and currently on uh netflix definitely in the uk um so uh if you did want to read it and see it then then go and grab grab that if you want before before listening further um but what what, what what's the premise, Sai, for 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 those that uh, you know aren't aware of it? Of fourteen oh eight. This is the story of Mike Henslin, who checks into the Hotel Dolphin. His business is staying in places that are reputedly haunted, and then writing about it afterwards. When he arrives at the hotel, 
the hotel manager, Mr. Olin, asks for a conversation in his office and proceeds to explain to Mike that the room has a very um, a very troubling history. And there have been numerous suicides, numerous deaths, a lot of them very bloody, uh, a number of natural deaths. Nobody stays in the room for longer than an hour. Mm-hmm. Whenever the room is uh, turned down, which it is once a month, um, it happens very, very quickly. Um, and even the staff members who have been responsible for cleaning the room have suffered unexplained maladies such as sudden blindness Mm. but despite all the warnings and all the discouragement Mike decides to stay in the room and his stay lasts for about 70 minutes before he bursts out of the room with his Hawaiian shirt on fire and he is extinguished in the hall by somebody who just happened to be in the right in the right place at the right time with a bucket of ice to ex- extinguish him and that's where we that's where we leave mike it's a very punchy story you know in four four parts as king writes it you know part one is is the setup of you know what's happening within that room what's occurring him arriving at the hotel the discussion with uh the, the hotel manager about really really don't do this and we have part two which is him in the room Part three, the rescue, and part four, the the aftermath. So divided nicely into those sections, and it reminded me it did of of road virus or up north, because again, everyone that comes into contact with that room, um, that th- there's a uh, there's an impact um, mm. that they feel the effects again. The really really sinister thing of it might not be you might not die in that room, but maybe as as King writes, you know, one of those chambermaids, somebody who's just been in the room for a short period of time, further on down the line has you know health issues uh, and things that happen. There's a trace that happens similar to the painting in in Road Virus. Mm. Yeah, a lot of lot of staff members won't won't go in there. Yep, he obviously has a has a history. Um, and of course, it's not on the thirteenth floor. No, <laughs> that's it. So no, so a lot of hotels don't have thirteenth floors. Hmm. Um, and I, I, I did a little bit of of digging into this, and obviously, the fourteenth floor is, is is normally actually you know the thirteenth, but thirteen is considered that unlucky number um, in in Norse myth- mythology. The god Loki was the 13th to arrive at a feast in Valhalla. Judas was the 13th guest at the Last Supper. Um, and there is a um, a phobia, which is the fear or avoidance of the number 13. Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia, the fear or avoidance of the number 13. So would that also extend to numbers which when added together make the number 13 i don't know what you're possibly talking about what what might that be well i don't know uh if i took the number four yeah and then the, the number eight yeah i'd have um i'd have 12 wouldn't i 12 yep 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 i think yep yeah that's correct right. yeah so i throw another one in there just for a laugh yeah. um and then a zero which means nothing but the sum total of those four numbers would be why didn't he just call the the story 13? 
I don't know. It seems a little easy to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not really, not really asking the reader to put a huge amount of uh, effort and work in if you just call it thirteen. No, exactly. And I think even even those of us that struggle a little bit with uh, with, with fractions and rounding up and rounding down that that's that's one that that that, that addition we we can do. Yeah, one four zero eight thirteen. What's your what's your sense on thirteen? If you were to say allocated a seat in in row thirteen. Or you happen to be at a hotel that did have a thirteenth floor. You know, a lot of them don't. You know, obviously, as we know, they tend to skip that out, especially in in the states. Would you? Would it, would it be water off a duck's back for you, or would you have a little little slight frisson shiver down your spine? No, I'd be more like Mike, and it'd be more like the former. I I wouldn't mm. really care about the row on on the plane. I think mm-hmm. I'd be more like: is it a window or an aisle seat? <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> when's the trolley service kicking off yeah a, i remember one trip um and it'd been a really really early flight so early that everything in the airport was closed and um i, I got on the plane and, and, and the, the the captain uh, did the whole you know welcome to the flight be cruising at a thousand feet yeah. uh, we really decided to tell you that unfortunately the heater has uh broken on the plane so there won't be any coffee <laughs> That was probably the most horrifying thing that's ever happened to me on a plane. (laughs) But to counteract that, as there is no coffee, we are handing out free beer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, great. I'm not not an early drinker, is it? I'm not kidding. It was probably about seven in the morning. (laughs) And no coffee. No, ah. Well, well, listen, I mean, that was that time that you didn't get escorted off the plane, wasn't it, for just kicking off? I mean, understandable, you know. Yeah, there was a, there was an hour delay to that flight. I, I, yeah. I may have had some measure of responsibility in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, you know, everyone understands, you know, <laughs> if there's no heat and there is no coffee, there is going to be a reaction. So you could be strapped into seat 13. The whole road could be deserted. It's just you there. But as long as you, you got a nice hot coffee uh, and maybe a King novel to read, You'd be fine with that. So yeah, no, bother me. You? yeah, um, not particularly. No, I think I would. Um, I, I, I would definitely. My ears would prick up. I would notice it. You know, mm-hmm. if if I'm ever sat in row thirteen, or if you know it happens to be you know something's happening on Friday the thirteenth, I'm just very conscious of that. It's you know I, I'm I'm aware of it. Okay. Um, I think mainly again because of a lot of the the world that we work in and the books and the stories and the fiction and the films that you and I both devour. You know, it's heightened. Friday the Thirteenth, obviously, it's uh, it's it, it, it's very much front of mind. But no, I, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't change seats. You know, I wouldn't ask to swap with somebody. Right on that basis. On that basis, yeah, absolutely. And what about any you know? We know superstitions come in all f- shapes and forms and sizes. As we said, you know, there is this fear of the number 13. Some people uh, don't walk under ladders. Um, there's, you know, kind of the, the, some people have certain superstitions, rituals. Do you have any yourself? I don't think I do. Mm. None leap to mind anyway. I don't walk under ladders because it's dangerous. <laughs> um, you always a smart lad. <laughs> um, is there anything? Not really. No, no, not as much as I used to. You know, mm. when you're a kid, you like, you know, you play the whole "Don't walk on the on the cracks." Yeah, um, yeah. Pavement game uh, or the sidewalk. Mm. Um, 
But I think if you if you do too much of that, you probably you're probably going to end up a bit like um, Jack Nicholson in As Good as It Gets. So I suspect it's just a mm, a bridge or two too far. Yes, it can. um, Yeah. What about from an acting point of view? I mean, you know, we've, you know, done numerous um, plays uh, and together and, you know, actors in particular, uh, particular, particular uh, species, um, as we know, that often do have those rituals, you know, especially say if something goes really well on one night, you know. And, you know, you think, right, I need to absolutely um, do the same little ritual I did before I went on stage or I need to be it's maybe less a superstition, more a, a ritual. Any any of those for you? No, no, not really. I tend to be the opposite. I mean, you tend to do what works for you. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's a, a ritual. It's it's. It's not even a routine. I mean, if I'm doing a, a play, I, I don't want to get to the theatre too late. I want, in fact, I want to get to the theatre really early mm-hmm. um, to get myself settled and to, to put the day, yeah. as it were, behind me and, and, and put my attention on what I've got to do. Yeah. So at least an hour and a half before the show mm-hmm. starts. Um, and I would say that it suddenly went really, really well last night. The best thing for me to do is not to try and do the same thing, but to change something. Okay. Because when something's gone really well, and I've fallen into this trap a lot, if something goes really well, the mind will always seek to recreate it. (laughs) Yes. Understandable. Yeah. Yes. But you're getting caught out because it's not possible. The chances are it went really well last night because something mm. spon- spontaneous was cooking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and you can't, it's a complete contradiction in terms. You can't manufacture spontaneity. Mm-hmm. You can only give it space for it to, for it to exist. Yeah. And the best way to be able to do that is, not to try and do the same thing, but to change something. So you're again, you're off balance the same way you were last night when it went well. That's the thing you have to keep consistent, which ironically, you have to do by changing something rather than trying to do it the same. Yes. Yes, makes total sense. Yeah. Um, but Mike obviously has his routines and his sort of um mm. something that that works for him that is like mm. uh like a superstition. I mean, the cigarette he's got behind his ear, which you yeah. had when you turned up to my desk. Yeah. And the Hawaiian shirt and his tape yeah. recorder and all these little, little things. Yeah. Yeah. You do what works for you. You do, you know, if you have these little things that, that make you feel more comfortable or more relaxed or more secure, so be it. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think it helps you control what you can control. Yeah. But when the rest of it, comes at you which is completely beyond your control you mm. feel a little bit more secure that you can handle mm-hmm. mm. really really interesting and, and again with mike as you said he has these rituals doesn't he he has these superstitions if you like for, for want of a better word yet he is completely divorced from believing in you know the afterlife the superstitions because you know his heart is you know definitely in the film is broken and he's detached Mm. Um, so there's an interesting paradox with him as a a, as a character the thing i think you've got to watch out for although they're 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 related 
but they're they're not the same. It's falling into too many routines. Yes. And the reason I say that is because prison life consists of routines, and then more routines. But that's not the same as a superstition. No, no. I mean, you have your, you know, obviously Mike has his Hawaiian shirt. You have your lucky pants. I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, the trouble is I've only got one pair. Ah, yeah. Which makes well, life interesting. That, that That's true. That's true. They don't call you Commando Balkan for nothing. So, um, well, they don't call Calling you for that. duty. <laughs> yes. Do put your pants on, please. Commando Balkan. <laughs> But we've we, we've we've headed into a, a room in the hotel that no one wants. So let's take it back on track to fourteen oh eight. So yeah, I love the hotel manager, Mister Olin. Mister Olin, yes. We what? don't get his first name in the shorts. No, we. No, I don't think we do. No, I think the I, th- I think it's the film that. Yeah, no, just Mr. O- yeah, Mr. Olin, and he just mm. refers to him as Olin, you know, Olin's mm. eyes, and because uh, he's very formal, it's very old school. Mr. Enslin, good evening. Mr. Olin, is there a problem? Mm. It's all very, it's very heightened, isn't it? Very formal. Yeah, because Mike's sort of going in, kind of getting ready for a fight. Yeah, he's punchy. That's why he's it? all sort of, you know, legaled up. Yeah. He definitely wants to stay in this room, and if the yeah. room is unoccupied, there is a a law yeah. which specifically states that if you want a specific room and it's not occupied, the hotel has to give it to you. Yeah, really nice bit of info that mm. <laughs> to, to use in real life. <laughs> I wonder how many people have gone. Well, actually, I want that room, and it's not occupied. You can't have it. Well, in fourteen oh eight by Stephen King. <laughs> I think you'll find. I think the I think you'll find the lawyer said actually you have to give it to me. Clause yeah. two, subsection three, paragraph yeah. nine. Oh, that's always my favourite. That one. <laughs> yeah, he goes in really punchy, doesn't it? And and in the in the text, we we're plunged almost straight into the action. You know, I remember rereading the first page a couple of times because we go straight in. There's not much backstory, or you know, he's literally going straight into the hotel. We're like, hang on, what's going on? We know that there's something has happened. There's a bit of a vibe already right from the opening. Um, so so he plunges us really quickly into the heart of what's going on and. I really loved, and and I think it was the same for the film. Um, for me, the most successful part of this whole story is the setup, mm. because again, the building of the suspense, the, the the creation of this room, the stories attached to it, the game of chess, effectively that uh, the two men play at the very beginning, sussing each other out, what's being said, what's not being said, and I think that's such a successful moment. It's the build-up. I think it's much harder for me once we're then in the room because it's got so much to live up to. Um, mm-hmm. Again, our old friend Bruce the Shark, you know, the setup. The, the the glimpse of the dorsal fin is much more terrifying than when you actually see the big reveal. Um, so for me, that that I, I love I love those opening sections of uh, of this story. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading that. Reading that too. The whole um, you know, Mister Olin being Basil Exposition a little bit, <laughs> sort of explaining yes, 
explaining why you really shouldn't stay in this room. That said, I think Samuel L. Jackson does a really good job oh. with the character yeah. in the film of being very sincere. Yes. And sort of, you know, why are you why are you sort of, you know, mocking me when I'm actually trying to save your life? Absolutely. And I really, I mean, I love the casting and especially in that setup in the movie, you know, at the beginning, before I get more of the backstory into Cusack's character, you know, into, into the Ensign character that naturally then makes me really feel for him. Um, you know, to begin with, he's come across as such a smug asshole. And mm-hmm. there's that brilliant moment where Jackson, you know, he's been so polite and he's so full of respect and he's just trying to look out for him. And then he just says to him, it's an evil fucking room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the first one is this. Yes, exactly. This is the thing. It is an evil room. Yes. And he breaks. It's that first moment where that kind of veneer, that formality, that, you know, very um, gracious hotel manager, he just, everything, the act just drops. Yeah. And it's like, look, listen to me. And this is why. This is it. Brass tacks. <laughs> but the thing, yeah, Olin. Um, but the thing is, Mike's heard it all before. It's yeah. like, yes, I know what you're trying to do. This is the, this is the setup. This is the, you know, this is the game we're playing. You're going to mm. tell me how terrifying the room is, and um, you're going to try and dissuade me from staying in it because then I stay in it, and then I write about it, and it does really good business for you. Yeah, I get it. I understand. Let's play the game, but it's a game. Yeah, but not this time. Yeah. Um, but I agree. I do like the way that the short story hits the ground running mm, mm. Um, with him with him going into the the hotel, yeah, having this conversation with um, with with Mister Rowling. I think it's one of the great things about the about the short story. It it it, um, it compresses a lot into a little. Yeah, um, it's really uh, economical. Yes, yeah. and that's got to be a you know that's got to be a writing skill, surely. Yeah, for sure. And and I do love the fact that it is divided into parts as well, mm. because, again, it, this is a short story, yet it still has those um, uh, kind of uh, devices that maybe a, a novel or a longer story would have. You know, within that, it's still these parts. So it's really, really tight. And it's a faithful, I mean, a, 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 you know, a, a pretty faithful adaptation. But as you said, there is quite a bit of padding. I, I really agree. I, I think if it had been a Nightmare and Dreamscapes 45-minute episode similar to The Road Virus, yeah, I, I, I could have absolutely done with that. I think, again, in the movie, we have that opening where he goes to another, um, you know, kind of hotel if you like you know and uh we see the game being played there where he's just so like yeah whatever whatever it's just a room you're gonna say it's scary it isn't um and so there's a please yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) he's just arrived and he's knackered and he's just got no time they're like we just want to tell you this one thing let's just uh and there's oh can i tell you oh and there's mm, and there's this thing too and just well, I'll tell you all about it as soon as I've actually got into the room. Can I have it, please? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I just think John Cusack was a little bit too dry when he walked into that lobby because it was throwing it down with rain. <laughs> yeah. It looks a little too dry for my liking. <laughs> Sorry, John, but we are going to have to douse you in more water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, it is. It's it's really, really chucking it down there, isn't it? Uh, but it's a nice little establishing, establishing, you know, scene of of his just detachment and almost his um, contempt for what he does. As you said, you know, earlier on, his heart's not really in it. But I think it's almost as if he's he's just got this contempt. You know, he's got no faith in it because he's got no faith in anything because he's, you know, uh, within the film, you know, he's he's lost his little girl. Um, and mm. we realise he then, you know, has, has walked out on his wife. And um, so here's a man just consumed by pain and grief, a lot of self-loathing as well. Um, yeah, and I think that backstory really, really... Um, creates the emotional heart of of the film for me and i and i i actually i'm really glad that's in there i think it mm. really richens the character it definitely embellishes it yeah um i i, I could have taken it out quite hap- mm, happily isn't the wrong word mm. um i wouldn't have missed it if it was if it was taken out i don't think i think mm-hmm. i think the short story is enough mm-hmm really uh, i can see why it's there because otherwise you don't have enough material to really um make a feature film yeah i mean it's not it's not a long film by any means but i think for me less would have been more yeah. although there are some alternative endings i believe yes yes so um yeah those alternative uh endings there are so um, this was from Screen Rant, which had a really, really good article on this. Um, uh, and they say that the director's cut features a superb ending that builds on the original short story. Enslin destroys the room and escapes with his life, as in King's story, but also reunites with his estranged ex-wife and finds evidence that the room was haunted in the form of his tape recorder. However, the theatrical cut of 1408 features a nonsensical ending that is somehow both too sentimental and too bleak. Not only does Enslin die destroying the hotel room, he then proceeds to inexplicably haunt the hotel's manager, while also simultaneously being depicted as a contented spirit, happy to pass on and see his daughter in the afterlife. Seems a bit of a mishmash to me. Mm. It, uh, there, I mean, there are a bit too many contradictions there. Yeah, not quite. It, it feels like it feels like they couldn't quite decide which ending they wanted to go with in that version. Yeah, and and, and tried to sort of fit them all together. Yeah, um, a bit maybe a bit too a bit too forcefully. Yeah, there's also an ending, I believe, where you know I, I think the ending that we saw the the one that's showing on Netflix for me is really powerful with him escaping the room and reuniting with his wife, um, with his ex-wife and he finds the tape recorder and he presses play and he hears um, Katie's voice on it. Mm. And I found that really chilling and really, really uh, beautiful as well, actually. And there is a version and ending where we don't see his wife wife's reaction she doesn't hear the voice in the film version that's on netflix we the cat the the camera pans to her and she drops what she's holding and it's just that's that's the final moment and then it goes back to kuzak's face almost just with a 
almost a kind of i don't know a, a sense of a smile sense of like i told you so she's there she was in the room but there is an ending where we just don't do the cutaway to to his wife so i think that look that john cusack has actually that's really that's really important because mm-hmm. i think it's um it's crucial to his sanity that somebody yeah. apart from olin but particularly his wife believes him yeah um and that it wasn't just some some accident that uh, and a lot of things he 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 hallucinated that is actually proof yeah that um that what he says happened happened yeah and i do like um even though sometimes it, it bothers me it didn't bother me at all in the short story that you're given clues to the ending um towards the beginning of the story so um quite early on um king says or king writes later he listened back to olin yes uh, 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 so this is him recording him on the tape recorder. later he listened back to olin um and there's another little clue slightly later on um when king writes during you know he, during his brief stay which lasted about 70 minutes like, oh, that's it. Oh, that's interesting. Also, he survives, does he? Oh, okay. Yes, now, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I wouldn't be told be, be given this information. Yeah, without good reason. So yeah. we need to know that he he survives. But what does that mean? And what does and what happens to him between now and him listening back to Olin on the on the tape recorder? And what yeah. happens in this in this seventy minutes that yes uh, to be told to us? I love that technique he does that that foreshadowing mm. that he does so well just dropping in and, and absolutely for me it heightens it rather than oh I didn't want to know that I want the surprise I love the tease of it it's a clever technique because you've mm. got to, I think you've got to be able to do it in the right way or else as you say you get the reaction of oh I didn't yeah. know that that's kind mm. of obvious. it's a fine line to walk isn't it it's a different because if you go too too far with it or get it wrong it's a spoiler yeah and if you but if you get it right you're sort of, it's a teaser as you yes. say you're like oh okay that's interesting what's what's next yes yeah 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 he, I mean I, I remember him doing it so clearly in misery and I think mm. when we spoke about it so there's so many moments where uh, as the reader what well, hang on what Oh my God, you know, you know that something really bad has happened to Paul, something physically has happened, and you know then you're gonna, you know, he he foreshadows it, and then you know you're gonna get that explanation. We've spoken about King being a suspense writer. You know, if you call him anything, call him he's a suspense writer. And there's a lovely moment in part one where he writes, um, there were several who had weeping fits, one who had a laughing fit. I don't know why someone laughing out of control should be more frightening than someone sobbing, but it is. I found that such a yes, haunting like image. Very chilling, very creepy. Yeah, yeah. I wonder I wonder if the laughing is more akin with with madness. Mm. Um and perhaps the crying is a bit more relatable because it would be um more like grief and uh, yeah. one, of the, one of the stages of grief so you could you could relate to that Un- uncontrollable laughing yes i think uh, it's, it's probably more unnerving because it you could 
feel that you're in the presence of of somebody that's lost their mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's a nice detail. It's a lovely detail that, again, the more that uh, Olin gives these details, the more Mike's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is just a game. You are saying that. It's like, no, I'm giving you concrete evidence and examples here. This has happened. And it's that brilliant thing of, yeah, 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 of course. Yeah, you would say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> and even he even, even implores um, Mike by saying, look, yes, I know you're a skeptic. And actually, I think the room will you'll be more susceptible uh, yeah. in this room if you're a skeptic. Absolutely. It will probably hit you harder. Yeah. Than it would the, than somebody who believes yep. in ghosts. Yes. I think you'll be more, ironically, you'll be more at risk because you don't believe. Yes. There's, an, there's another really lovely um, uh, image um, in, the, in the short story when I think it's Olin's talking about the people that have gone into the room to, you know, change the sheets or, or clean or whatever. And um, <clears throat> it's the analogy of going going into somewhere that's got poisoned gas in it. So you hold your breath for a certain amount of time and you can survive because you're not actually inhaling the gas. But after a period of of time, you have to start breathing in there. So what you've got to do is make sure that you stay in the room for periods where you can hold, hold your breath and then get out, which is why nobody stays in there for very long. And the record record stay so far is uh, is an hour yes so mike actually breaks the record he does yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know it's a high price <laughs> he has to pay yeah it's such a powerful image of that isn't it the poison gas i i, I love that one and and as you said si you know that that foreshadowing i mean we open with part two don't we the most interesting artifact left in the wake of michael enslin's brief stay it lasted about 70 minutes in room 1408 was the 11 minutes of recorded tape in his mini recorder which was charred a bit but not even close to destroyed the fascinating thing about the narration was how little narration there was and how odd it became how little narration there was and what there is is almost these ramblings of what would it sounds like a madman you know and so that point of view that we get from the um tape recorder Mm. for me that had real kind of found footage blair witch feel to it you know it's that thing of you know people might not have been in the room but you listen to that recording and you get the snatches of the horror that that occurred within it um you know that that tape recorder becomes one of the main characters within the story almost isn't it Mm, yeah yeah it reminded me a little bit of the uh, as well as you say the sort of the found footage from the Blair Witch Project which is still a terrifying oh lights on for that one for days after for me (laughs) yeah um I, I should be ashamed to admit this, but I'm not. It's the only time I have ever felt the need to hold somebody's hand in the cinema. <laughs> Out of pure fear. The only time so far I've ever... I need, no, I need to hold on to somebody's hand for this. It's just too damn much. <laughs> yeah. Creepy damn film. Oh, um, absolutely creepy. Creepy as hell. Really, really well film. done, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but it also reminded me of the the sort of um, the video footage that's um, discovered uh, in Event Horizon. Mm. That's that's a similar sort of that, yeah, that's yeah. a really good example of the sort of what happened to the crew thing. Well, here's their last yeah. um, mission. Here's their last log entry. Yeah, um, and it's so broken up. Yeah, that it's you know you can't really work out what's yeah. what's going on. And as you say, it's a bit like our friend Bruce the shark when he attacks Alex Kittner mm. on the beach. <clears throat> um, well, if you want to attack him on the beach, you attack, attack him not far from the beach. But you see, you can you, you don't know what you've seen, but you know what you've seen. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those great examples when you couldn't get the, the shark to work, because we're going to have to just do something. And the, the something that they did looked probably inf- infinitely more creeping yeah. um, and sinister mm. than it would if they'd got the effect that they were planning to film, I expect. Yes. Yeah. And, and I think... And this is the this is the the tricky thing I I think with the film and with the story actually and generally with some of the adaptations it's once we get to the reveal for me it often loses that suspense because so much of this hangs on the suspense so part one of this story works amazing. I, I'm, I was blown away by how quickly, I mean, again, we know it only lasts for 70 minutes, but within the story, in particular within the text, how once he's in the room, things happen at a real pace. There's a mm. real speed to it. Um, and I don't know, it, it just felt really rushed. Now, maybe that's the purpose is that like, <laughs> this room's not hanging around, especially for someone who's so susceptible to it because, he's, because of his scepticism. Mm. But once he's in there, my God, that room really, really quickly starts to take hold of him. Mm. I know um, what you mean. I know what you mean. There, there, is, there is a bit... That, that that felt like it was rushed, but at the same time, yeah. I wondered if it was just part of the mind-bending effect I, that it has on him in terms of his perception of time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, you see, that, you know, that yeah, can change yeah. hugely depending on what's happening to you at the time. Yeah. Because it is almost a psychedelic filter. It's like when you're watching it, when you're reading it, like he is on some kind of bad trip. Mm. You know, it's compared to that, isn't it? Yes. On some kind of um, bad dope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like he's had something and, and, you know, in 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 the film, you know, he he picks up the bottle, doesn't he? He goes, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's still looking for the logic. And I love that. He's like, yeah, of course. I, 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 you know, he he he's drugged me. This is all part of the yeah, Olin's done this. It's all part of the trick. And I'm seeing these things that aren't real. And that takes on a really, really, you know, and he starts to get scared because he's losing control and he feels mm. he's been drugged. Um, I, I think that was a really neat touch. Okay, I've got I've got a couple of questions I'd like to ask before I, before I forget to ask them. Yes. <laughs> so, first of all, um, if you found yourself in a in a similar position, mm-hmm. um, and you've got to the point where the the door handle's broken off, yeah. Okay, what would you do next? in that room yes at that stage you've got you've got to that point where he he obviously he's gone right you win you win you're right i give up i want out yeah and you've tried to get out the door handles come yep yep well i'd stay away from that bloody window (laughs) 
I mean, after it, you know, nearly chops his hand off. And that's a really nasty cut. Yeah. And it's like, I get it. But once he keeps going back to that bloody window and leaning out, I'm like, yes. now you're leaning with your head out there. Did you not remember the thing about? So that's one thing I definitely wouldn't do. Don't go near the window. Because every time he goes near the window, bad stuff happens, you know? Yes. Uh, people start to throw themselves out and then disappear almost with this kind of crackling electricity. Um, the 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 window ledge smashing his hand. And the creepiest moment in the f- film for me when he, well, that brilliant moment where he looks opposite and he th- he makes eye contact. Mm. He makes contact with a figure in a, a window of a room in the, in the adjacent building, and we go, "Come on, great, great, come help, help, help me!" And then we start to realise that it's actually a, him and a, a and a mirror and a reflection. Yes. That was a brilliant, creepy moment. Followed by the second creepiest moment that did make me jump when he turns round and he sees that creepy woman with the axe yes she jumps out at him well he sees it happen doesn't he in the reflection and then it's behind him in in reality so oh really so i yes in answer to your question i'd stay away from the window um oh god i mean what would you do i mean the phone clearly doesn't work you're not going to be able to um you know make contact with anyone i mean he's literally isolated cut off um I don't know. I'd probably just hit that that whiskey and uh, close my eyes and, and hope for the best. I, I don't know what 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 can you do in that situation? Well, I start by trying to break down the bloody door. But we know that this door has this power. I mean, when he goes there, he sees it. It's crooked, isn't it? Yes. The crooked door. Yes, and I then wish it's not kept that and, detail for the yeah, film. Yes, because I love I love that. I really love that. Um, yeah, before he even goes in, something's <laughs> Yes, yeah. Um, so He doesn't try. I mean, I... I no. Yeah, he doesn't... I, that's where I, I would start, by trying to break down the door. Yeah. Um, I tell you what I wouldn't do. I don't know if you would have found this um, option attractive, but I wouldn't go into the, into the vents. Uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't do that. And again, creepy, creepy moment number two, that brilliant moment where that creature appears again and starts chasing him, you know, within the vents. Yes. Um, And a lovely detail where he, you know, you've seen this pram, the glimpse of a pram, a woman with a pram going into a room right at the beginning. And then we get the reveal that it's, you know you know, Katie and and his as a baby and his wife. And he's like, I'm just going out for cigarettes, which is his go-to line. And I wonder if that, again, you know, we know that that's, you know, King's dad walked out on him to go and get some, just going out to get some cigarettes and didn't come mm. back. Couldn't help feeling that there's something about that there as well. Yeah, I had a twinge there as well. Yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's the writer using, um, mm. you know, doing a bit of sort of, uh self-therapy or something yeah perhaps i mean because yeah. it's not a mistake is it i mean there's no, no way in hell he would have written something like that or no. or, or had something like that put out there and it, it it had gone past him i think that's unlikely yes I, I totally agree so yeah not the vents not the window would have tried the door but again you know king writes about you know him being swallowed by the room 
digested Mm. the room being soft it definitely starts to come alive doesn't it it literally kind of eats him almost (laughs) um so yeah i think i think the room in the overlook gets a lot more a lot more attention but for, for me in terms of a story about the the haunted the haunted yeah. room it's, it's this one much more than the shining the shining is about other things yeah for me and the room in the that haunted room in the overlook is uh as is a supporting player yeah but this is the story yeah about the yeah the haunted room for me the the room is it's the title isn't it it is about you know the the room is the lead character um yeah and there's a it, they, they, actually there's a very um it's it's a very good metaphor for something i hadn't considered at all and then when i read um, a a piece of an article written by christine mcmanus in the gateway i went that makes perfect sense that makes the story even cleverer than i thought that it was Besides being a gripping short story that appeals to the senses marvellously, 1408 is also a disturbing account of the lasting effects of trauma. Those who enter the room often experience physical and emotional damage for years afterward. While ordinary traumatic events aren't supernatural, they can and often do have similar effects on the body and the mind long after the traumatic event itself has passed. The world can look just as scary to someone with PTSD as the hotel room looks to Mike, and the realistic portrayal of mental scarring was something I really appreciated about the ending. Stephen King often uses elements of the supernatural to play on more grounded real-world fears, and 1408 is one of the strongest examples of this. If you're looking for a short story that will make you think twice about checking into a hotel, this is the one for you. Mm, Lovely. Really like that. That idea of it being about trauma and the, mm. and, the and, and the reminding me that the sort of the supernatural, um, the use of the supernatural, yeah, is a good way to sort of you know expose more everyday horrors. Yeah, I thought that, that's a very very clever take on this. Yes, story. It's very good. Yes, it is. There is a lot to do about with with trauma and PTSD because so many people have had the trauma of being in the room and then afterwards yeah, yeah. um I felt that that was one key detail that I I, I didn't quite I, I preferred in the short story when Olin tells Mike that one of the maids that went in um lost her sight Mm. okay so in the short story he took her out and actually by the time that she was down the hall her sight had started to come back but that was still something really traumatic that happened to her Mm. and in the film she gouged her eyes out yes yeah and i prefer the version of that story that's in the it's in the book actually it just felt a bit too yeah gory and yeah, I, I agree. Much, I agree. And the fact that it comes back when she's, you know, a, a little while later when she's out the room, but, f- you know, n- for for an hour or so, the terror that she'd have gone through. Yes. Um, the power anyway, of that room. Longer, isn't it? So it yeah. Longer. I, yeah, I, I really love that, that, that read because, you know, I very much, and especially with the, with the film adaptation, um, it, it, it's a story about grief. Um, you know, this man that's lost his faith in everything, um, completely understandable after losing his child, um, you know, doesn't believe in ghosts, 
because for him, there's no afterlife. There's no God. It's just a lie he told to Katie. And I, I found that so heartbreaking, you know, when, you know, the scenes I thought the most emotionally impactful scenes obviously were the uh, scenes with him, him and his family and him and his daughter. And, you know, he's doing what any dad would do, you know, just, just, just saying, of course, you know, there's a God and, you know, and, and everyone will be there and we get to play and we'll be reunited. And, and he doesn't believe in any of that. Um, and, and he's lost complete faith in everything. Um, and he's absolutely in the throes of, of grief. And there's plenty of moments in that film where, you know, where we see him surfing and, you know, mm. he's just completely out there. He's, he's not connected to nature or the waves. He's on the, on the surfboard, but then gets blindsided by this huge wave. And, dragged under and it's a nice little echo whether whether you know that the room gets flooded but it's almost yeah it's like when when he's when he's under when he's under the water you know almost this moment i i could i could have pictured him going just letting go Hmm. yeah what's the point what's the point and and that's what i like about the relationship between him and the room because there is a moment once he's once his cynicism is broken down once he goes yeah this is real he's like you win take me fine have it have it oh um he he's feeling for the first time again in ages because he's almost been kind of numb i think um Mm. numb with grief um so it's like he's (laughs) been forced to come alive again um so yeah, grief and PTSD. I, th- I think it's a really powerful uh, read on this story for sure. I think that moment, as you say, when he gives up, is kind of the moment when he's won. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 And did you notice on his uh, when he's washed up on the beach, there's a sort of a, a, a brand name or something like that on his wetsuit? Did you see what that said? I didn't. Psycho one. <laughs> really? <laughs> so I don't know if that was the brand of the wet thing or something. But <laughs> <interesting>. yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's so the moment that he's given up is when he wins. And that's yeah. when he smokes the cigarette, which is another detail I think that's is better kept, is better used in the short story because you you're told what that affectation is about. Yes. Um, and you that's a shame. I think that was a, a bit of a missed opportunity mm, mm. In, the, in the film because it works really well in the in the short story, yeah, and it's something I think I'd have liked to have to have kept, yes, give, given it more meaning, otherwise it is just an affectation, yeah, I like yeah. I like that he smokes it at the end in that in that moment, yeah, yeah, that looks like a man really, really enjoying that smoke yeah. it's, a, it's just you know. And, and obviously, again, the whole device of, you know, I like how, you know, the the, the bottle, the, the whiskey that he thinks has been used to drug him actually is vital. That with the matches, with the cigarette, all in beating the room, if you like, you know, creating the Molotov cocktail and, you know, all of these things. Suddenly he pulls them together as these resources to help him uh, overcome, you know, the mm. room. Mm. Um, and not necessarily to escape or to get out, but just to beat it, just to kill it. Oh yeah, I, and that's it. I mean, I, I, 
I expected at that stage. I, I didn't think he'd get rescued, actually. You know, when I was watching it, obviously, without knowing the alternative endings, I was thinking, well, yeah. that's it. You know, I award, what is it? I award it 10 skulls. <laughs> And then <laughs> as he throws the uh, the ashtray, and then I thought he he's ready to go. He's like, fine, I'm done. Yeah, you know, because obviously we've had that scene that really ob- had echoes of um, it, where Katie comes to him. That beautiful, beautiful scene where Katie comes to him and he's holding her. You know, she she she's she's real. She exists, even though we know that she can't be real. And it reminds me very much of when Georgie uh, appears to Bill in it. And everyone knows that that that's not, that's not little Georgie. It's not, but you're powerless to stop it. And that's that evil manifesting in grief. And that moment where he says, when she then dies in his arms and he's like, you can't take her twice. Mm. Uh, and this, anger and 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 pain towards god whoever the universe but i think it's very much directed to god so you can't take her twice and then she just just crumbles into you know kind of granite or clay and um but it's exactly the same the kind of thing that would happen because as he was told it's an evil fucking room yes yeah that's what that's exactly the kind of trick it is going to yeah. Gonna play. Yep. Because it's evil. That's what evil does. Yeah. You know, when I was a when I was a kid, I remember watching this one episode of um the real Ghostbusters when um good and uh, uh, an evil square off in this in this baseball game. And whoever, you know, <laughs> you know, they're playing for everybody's souls. Who's gonna who's gonna win this this baseball game? And and and, and evil evil starts starts cheating. And you know the good guys go to the go to the umpire and say they're cheating, and the umpire's like, "Well, they're evil. That's what evil does. <laughs> what were you expecting? <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to play by the rules. Yes. They're evil. Yeah. What did you expect? Yeah. Of course they're cheating. <laughs> yeah." So yeah, the room's going to do that. It's going to yeah. play those things. It's going to find ways in absolutely to you very specifically the same way Pennywise will. He'll find yeah. what what makes you tick, and he'll use that absolutely. And he will get you in your most vulnerable spot, you know, which is that grief. And and uh, with grief, I definitely feel that often with grief we replay that situation again and again. What if, oh, could I have done more? Should I have done this? You know, that's the nature of grief, I think. In my experience, you know, we we relive it, we replay it often. You know, it's very, very real, which is why that manifestation of Katie and Georgie in it is mm. so powerful because, you know, it, it, of course they're going to go. Of course they're going to be swept up in the moment because it's like, you know, Maybe here's the chance to 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 look that grief in the eye and change things. We know that's not going to happen, but you know they're they're most vulnerable then. And I do like the idea that this is um is a loop of madness, a whirlpool of grief almost, especially mm. in the film. You know the express. Would you like to take our express checkout system? Oh you yes, know, I love that kind of phrase. love that little yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> express checkout service. <laughs> 
brilliant with that noose just hanging there you know but he's got to relive that hour again and again and again that's the nature of it boom 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 again and again and again and again mm. um well you wanted to stay in the room but yeah that's what you're gonna get yeah it's only an hour but it's that same hour again and again and again Unless you check out the express checkout yeah. service, you took advantage of our express checkout service. <laughs> I thought before the news news turned up, I thought that just meant throwing himself out the window. So, yeah, so did I. Yeah, <laughs> and a nice, um, nice little bit of melting phone action as well. Oh yes, a very very nice little kind of white chocolate melting phone. <laughs> yeah, really unnerving that I felt. Yeah, something like over about now. Yeah, the yeah. wires. And the wire, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. So, what did you? You know, we've spoken about obviously that the film there is you know a little bit of padding, and obviously it's it's much longer than perhaps the economy of the short story. The twist that happens, mm-hmm. you know, um, at that you know two thirds of the way in. I'd love to get your take on that. You know, that twist of, oh, 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 we're okay. Oh, everything's all right. What did you, what did you feel about that? Where we think he's, oh, he's okay. He's escaped. It did keep, it did keep me guessing. I Mm. wasn't entirely sure. I wasn't convinced he was out. Mm. But um, I thought he might be by the same token. But he might be, but there's something else he has to do. But there's there's another part of him. No, there's no way in hell it's that easy. <laughs> um, so if it if it has actually happened, there's a reason for it. Yeah. And I have I haven't figured out what it is yet. So I wasn't certain either way. Yeah. Until it was until it was obvious and it was really clear. Yeah, yeah. Um did you have a a strong instinct. Were you certain that it was? You know, he was still in the room. Actually, <sighs> well, I, I loved it. I, I thought it was a really audacious bit within the film, and mm-hmm. I thought it was a bit that really, really worked and added to the whole story. Um, so I had, I went through a whole range of emotions. Part of me was thinking, ah, oh, it's a Bobby, it's a, it's a Bobby Ewing in Dallas, you know, coming mm-hmm. out of the shower. It's all a dream, and I'm like, ah, oh, maybe you know, because when we see him nearly drown. Mm. You know, the guy comes out, you all right, man? You okay? You know, he's like vomiting up water, clearly nearly drowned. That's dealt with very quickly. And then he goes to the post office. So I was like, ah, so this is all just maybe in his head. Um, that's the direction the film's going to go in. He had a real bump to the head and then he's reliving this trauma and this grief and this PTSD. And then I'm like, no, no, no. Oh, clearly maybe he's got out. But then it it lasts for quite a while. And I think that's the boldness of it. It's not just, say, a little kind of um, twist or dream sequence that lasts for a couple of scenes. It's about three or four scenes. Mm-hmm. So by then I'm like, hang on, is he out? Has he escaped? No, he can't, because obviously I know the story. But I thought they were really brave with how far they pushed that twist. And I think the imagery of them knocking down you know the set of the post yes. office and mm. the guy behind the counter being the bellboy from the dolphin and the way they're dismantling dismantling this set it's all just a game it's mm. all just pretend i thought it was a very powerful 
um image uh so i, I really yeah i really liked and applauded that the the direction the film went in there i loved it and yeah, um, way, kept, me, kept me guessing yeah and it does say um yeah again this lovely article in screen rant um which is um entitled 1408 the most underrated stephen king short story adaptation yeah there's an audacious sequence near the end of act two where in 1408 cuts to enslin's life after his haunted hotel stay he's still troubled by the events of the hotel but he's starting to recover and while he's having lunch with his ex-wife, he's convinced uh, to write a book about the traumatic experience he had in the room. This keeps him busy for a few months until the Stephen King protagonist takes his novel to the post office to send his editor a manuscript, only for the post office's walls to fall around him as 1408 reveals that this whole imaginary future was a mirage and he's still in the room. The twist is more ambitious than anything in the original King story and only works because viewers assume that the entire movie can't be contained in one room, meaning they're shocked when it is. The short story's limited length means that when Enslin suddenly wakes up outside the room, that would be a blatantly obvious misdirect, where the movie adaptation can convince viewers that 1408 couldn't possibly be a chamber piece from start to finish, only for the movie to twist the knife once again. So it's a, yeah, I, I like the fact that it does take it and twists and plays with it. Um, mm. you know plays with the source material and and king was a fan i mean i think he you know he's he's been quoted as saying he really really rates this movie mm -hmm. yeah i think that the the location of the hospital was the was the key detail for me so when he wakes up for the first time and he's in the los angeles hospital because he's recovering from the the wall upon the the head from the the surfboard i went okay okay i'm not sure but okay <laughs> yeah um but then when he subsequently wakes up in the hospital and he's in new york because he asks where he is yeah. like okay that makes more sense that's more in, more in line with him actually getting out of the room if you pull another one there's going to be trouble <laughs> yeah yeah all right you've had your fun exactly <laughs> Evil's uh, cheating. <laughs> dear John Cusack. Um, well, because I wasn't convinced. I, I mean, again, it, I think credit to it on the scenes where he's um, FaceTiming or Skyping or whatever, you're having the video calls with his ex-wife. I was mm. like, well, is that real or not? Yeah. When she, I, I, again, I wasn't sure because obviously we then see himself watching him invite her to come you know he's like yeah come here i'm in this room just ask for room 1408 we're sending her up now sir i didn't know how much that was real or not so yeah. um you know and it's essential because she's there she's the one that you know thanks to her being there saves his life mm. you know because she yeah. directs the firefighters up there and and then i had a little detail i'm like mm, man i wonder what's going to happen to those firefighters i wonder what the aftermath is you know, for, for these brave men who've been into the room and they're about to go back in there and, and we don't see them go back in to put the fire out. But of course, I'm sure they would. What's going to be the poison gas shockwaves for them? That's the. Yeah. Or is the fire doing it? I mean, yeah. Of, you know, is the fire killing the room anyway? I mean, that's mm. the sense you get with that one little shot of Samuel L. Jackson sort of having a drink saying, well done. Thank you. Mr. Yeah. 
Yeah. Right, you know, you did it. You've you've rid us of this this plague. Yeah. Fire's a pretty good way to get rid of most evil. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Some something else I, I, I have to um I have to ask about. Um I seem to have a memory mm. of um you staying in a hotel room and falling asleep watching uh the ring mm-hmm. yes i'm sorry if that's brought back a, a painful memory i'm sure you told me at one point you were one of your many travels you were staying overnight in a hotel yeah and you put on either the remake or the original of the ring yeah and you fell asleep watching it and when you woke up the television was all you know the snow effect you know the last thing you want to see <laughs> well remembered <laughs> totally it was yeah the remake and it was one of the scariest things i've seen and to wake up to that oh my god i mean yeah goosebumps all over just at the (laughs) yeah hotel rooms aren't always these lovely you know warm inviting yeah places to be i know i know what you mean they can be a little bit maybe because they're always so so clean and so Mm. you know there's something almost sort of surgical Um, sterilized. Yes. If, if that's you know, if that's something you would find a little bit mm. unnerving, rather than the the mm. security of your particular flavor of chaos. Question I have for you. So obviously, you know, so much of what you know is you know we've spoken about superstitions and rituals and and, and those, but obviously it deals with the afterlife, deals with you know ghosts, deals with those echoes. Where where do you where do you stand on all of that? Well, I'm kind of like Mike in that I have never encountered anything to make me believe that there is a consciousness mm. after death. Mm. My my take on it. Mm. Um, and warning, warning, hippy dippy shit coming up. Warning. Um, it's like it's like a wave returning to to the ocean. It's that it's like energy. Mm. All life is, mm. from my perspective, I think, is sort of borrowed energy. Yes. Okay. So life, and it is really really short. It's like a, you know, because you've got these massive waves on the surface of the ocean and they make their way on, on onto the shore and they push out um, onto the shore and then they go back again. And they go back into the collective energy that is the sea. Mm. And then they go come back onto the shore and then they disappear. And each, each wave is unique. Each one is different and each one will never be seen again. Mm. But the end, the energy is constantly, constantly going constantly constantly flowing and i think one of the ways that we sometimes suffer in life is to try and stay on the shore <laughs> yes i want i want to stay on the shore yes we all do but that's not how this works mm. um and yeah i i've i've never seen anything that would make me think that that, that what that the next mm. wave, if you will, to extend the mm. metaphor, is conscious of the one that came before it. Mm-hmm. 
um, but it it retains yeah. its part of the collective energy. Mm. I much, yeah. much, much prefer the use of the supernatural as a means of examining the real. Yes. Mm. I think it, it, it's much better placed for that. Yes. For me. Yeah. Um, I like... I like playing with the idea of believing in it. Mm. But that's its place in yeah. fiction. That's kind of playground for me to, mm. to imagine myself, to exercise the imagination, to then, I think, have the fuel to think about the real. Yeah. Which this, which this story does. Because mm. very much for me, it's... On some levels, the room is saying, listen, mate, I know you're on the brink of i think taking your own life you know i think he's so grief struck that i you know i i think this room's going look come on come in here i'll end this for you you know i'll give you a helping hand you know go mm. on jump out that window jump out you know there's the noose go on go on do it you know again the supernatural here is used as i think again a a, a metaphor imagery about a man who is uh, when we meet him what's he got to live for and yeah. i think these i think he's toying with all of these these things i think you know if he hadn't gone to that room then i don't i, I don't think he'd be long for this world so in some strange way the room kind of saves him hmm. you know? Yes, it's strange. You get a much stronger sense of that in the film, I think, than the, the short story. Agreed. Um, in the short story, from the short story, somebody described Mike Enzelin as a successful journalist. And I don't get a certain sense of a successful journalist. I get no. a sense of a, of, a, of a writer kind of slumming it, sort, mm. of, sort of not really living up to his potential writing these, these books. Although, conversely, in the film, with that one novel that Mike wrote at the beginning of his career and then subsequently wrote these other books, you get a much yeah. clearer sense of somebody not living up to their um, their potential by not really being brave enough at that time to really do what they think is work that they care about and would make a difference. A couple of lovely little details from the from the film I, I did like. Um, the, uh, the heating engineer, the, the engineer that comes to fix his broken thermostat. When I saw him for the first time, I thought, well, she... <laughs> Isaiah Whitlock Jr. from The Wire. Oh, what a, what a lovely cameo. She... <laughs> I am not going in that room. <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's terrific. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, as soon as it's fixed, I'm off. Yeah, Lotty. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk you through it. It's, it's a piece of cake, but I'm not going in that room. Yeah, yeah, yeah lovely it, cameo. Love that. He just even look, looks in very sort of you know suspiciously and gingerly into the room. Yeah, staying right on the threshold. And even Olin in the film uh, won't get yeah. out of the lift. This is this is as far as I go unless uh, it's that time of the month. Yeah, and it's the same in the book as well. He doesn't come out the lift. Mm. Yeah, uh, and and that is when I think we go. Wow, he's not playing here, or 
Ensign's going, wow, you're playing a blinder. <laughs> you're really playing the part well. But yeah, that is the marker in the sand, the line that is not going to be crossed. The lift music that was uh, playing, I thought was an interesting choice. It's not the first time that piece of music has been used in uh, in a horror film. You remember which one? It's not that Fur Elise again, is it? It's not Fur Elise, <laughs> no. It's, um, I'm not sure I'm going to say this correctly in German, but I'm going to, I'm going to give it a give it a try and a kleiner knock music ah yes a little night music yes yes by mozart uh the film tell, is do in, tell uh 1979 if if memory serves um mm. dallas played by tom skerritt is listening to it in alien Right. Okay. Sat alone in the cockpit, waiting mm -hmm. for uh, the, the the repairs to mm -hmm. be completed, um, <clears throat> and while John Hurt is still in the infirmary, he's listening to that piece of music. Oh, uh, something about that piece of music that sort of lends itself to yeah a certain suspenseful feel somehow. Mm. Mm. Yes. Or perhaps it or perhaps it's the opposite of that. So it's a it's a contrast and it's sort of meant to be relief mm. until we go back into the um to the suspenseful story. I don't know, but um, Yes, well, well chosen, well yeah, well placed. There's a nice little bit of humor where um Kuzek says, Oh, it's good to be back. That's enough of that. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> And he also, he's convinced, he's like, this is a dream. You can't die in your dreams. Mm. That's what he says. You know, this is a dream. And where, interesting enough, there is, again, you know, there's a lot of mythology around the fact that, you know, can one, can you die in dreams? And the, the falling dream, the dream where you're falling and you're falling to your death, that often if means that in your dream, if you hit the ground, then you die in real life. That mythology around that dream is fascinating. People saying, yeah, that often is when you might have a heart attack or something, you know, but maybe it's precipitated by a falling dream. You know, the dream where you suddenly <gasps> and you yeah. physically, I mean, I, I find that yeah. fascinating. We've all we've all had that, right? Where you physically um jerk jerk awake just before you hit the ground. Um I'm like it seems to me I've had exactly the same sensation, but I'm I I'm a, I think a little luckier. It, I sort of wake up and I get that <laughs> moment when I feel like I'm just starting to fall. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm just over the edge. I'm, I'm past the point of no return. Yeah, yeah. He's now taking over. Mm. And then I wake up. I don't get, I don't, I don't even get the fun of the fall. You don't even get the fun of the fall. Oh, man. Well, maybe, maybe that will come on. Maybe that's, uh, you know, maybe you're building up to that. Yeah, but got that it, to look forward to. You got that? Yes. <laughs> but it's fascinating, isn't it? That relationship between, the dream and the physicality. Again, I don't know if you've had that dream where you're running away from something, from from evil, from somebody, from something, but you can't run. And it feels like you've lost the ability to run. And it's like you're swimming through syrup and you can't move. And there's a physical connection between the dreams and, uh, 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 and you know, and your body and mind. And uh, 
yeah, this this story definitely hints at that. What is a dream? What's reality? Mm. Yeah, how much of him is potentially stoned out of his mind, or you know, out of his mind with grief, and what's real? Mm. Um, yeah, lovely little, always kind of you know, shining a light on you know what's concrete and what isn't. Yeah, it's another reason I like this story as a a cousin if you will um to the road virus up north because you've you've got somebody who is it's not not just the sort of the, the moving paintings theme although mm-hmm. the the painting is much more of a central character in the in the road virus um but somebody who who is starting to struggle to tell the difference between reality and an illusion yeah um and could can the illusion hurt me is it dangerous well if it can hurt me and it's dangerous, then it's not an illusion anymore, is it? Surely mm. it's real. But it's not It's not real because now it's gone. Mm. Um, and then something else happens, which is which, which is strange. And is it an illusion? Mm. Well, if it was an... Uh, and it's all really disorientating and, and slightly psychedelic. Yes, again, yes. And, and <laughs> bewildering. I, I think those are great uh, adjectives for it. Yeah, it's disorientating and psychedelic. Absolutely, mm. yeah. But with both of those stories, for sure. And in fact, with a lot of the stories within it, Everything's Eventual, there's definitely a, a, that disorientation runs throughout, I think. Yes, yes, yes. Mm. You, you mentioned at the beginning Stephen King talking about the um, the premature burial. Yeah. when he does that in uh, don't think to an extent in um in everything's eventual with uh, with auto autopsy room four yeah where you've got a character on the slab and they're about to carve him up to find the cause of death and he's no oh, i'm still alive i'm still alive <laughs> i'm, I'm not, not dead yet just a boom slang mate <laughs> Yeah, as I mentioned to you, he says, I think what scares us varies wildly from one individual to the next. I've never been able to understand why Peruvian boom slangs give some people the creeps, for example. <laughs> You're going to have to remind me, what is a Peruvian boom slang? That is the snake within autopsy room four. Ah, Thank you. <laughs> yes. So, Thank you. I knew that was in. That yeah, was, yeah. I, I heard that somewhere. I heard that. I know exactly. That, that so you've Thank heard you. that, yeah, from King, you know, with the opening story um, that, yeah, I would love to. Um, yeah, I think we should definitely uh, do an episode on, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one final note regarding the snake, and this is from Autopsy Room 4, but it brings it full circle. I mm. doubt like hell if there's any such reptile as a Peruvian boom slang. But in one of her Miss Marple capers, Dame Agatha Christie does mention an African boom slang. I just like the word so much. I had to put it in the story. <laughs> it is a great word. <laughs> um, and King talks about as we mentioned earlier on but hotel rooms are just naturally creepy places don't you think i mean how many people have slept in that bed before you how many of them were sick how many were losing their minds how many people were thinking about reading a few final verses from the bible in the drawer of the nightstand beside them and then hanging themselves in the closet beside the tv in any case let's check in shall we here's your key And you might take time to notice what those four innocent numbers add up to. It's just down the hall. 
when uh, when Mike when Mike gets uh, the Bible out to, and, and he reads it and um, every page is blank, um, <clears throat> the first thing I thought of was uh, Homer Simpson's line in the movie when he's asked to uh, when he reads the Bible in um, in response to Grandpa having a fit to see if that will help him. The first thing I thought was, "Yep, yeah, this book doesn't have any answers." <laughs> I'm sorry that that's a little glib. It, it it does. It just depends on your interpretation, yeah. and, and the interpretation can be uh, quite broad sometimes. Let's yes, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just interesting to read. Uh, this was in mybloodyreviews.com um, that 1408 was well received by the critics upon its release in August 2007, and went on to do very well at the North American box office. It grossed 71.9 million from an estimated 25 million. So on just its gross profit and not factoring in for inflation, 1408 is presently the most financially successful horror movie adapted from the work of Stephen King. Hmm. So there we go. It's not all about the numbers, not about the numbers at all sometimes, but uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, it definitely, uh, as Mark Commode said, uh, washed its face and then some. I thought the choice of Carpenter's song was very clever. Ah, yes. Particularly with, you know, him having to repeat the hour. Um, You know, we've only just begun. Just begun. (laughs) Yeah. We're just getting started. (laughs) And it lent itself really brilliantly, that tune, to creepy kind of sounding, you know, when it almost Mm. melts and the track starts to... Yeah, it's a great choice. (laughs) Something about the saccharine the the cleanliness of her voice and the harmonies in this psychedelic horrible room it's a lovely juxtaposition isn't it yes it's such a contrast i mean Karen yeah to have such a beautiful voice and to mm. have it in that sort of context and as you say the sound being sort of warped and, yeah yeah and, um, and played like that is quite unnerving Yes. Great sound. Actually, you know, it's a it's a movie that I felt really, really had this all the sounds turned up to 11 right from the opening scene, you know, where he's in that absolute downpour, uh, despite not getting wet enough. But, yeah, that sound of the rain and then the sounds within the room as well. And when it's torn apart and the fire and, you know, it's yeah, it's really real assault on the senses. I wasn't quite sure why he was listening to an evangelical preacher in the car, though. What was the? What did you think? I wasn't sure about the reason. Yeah, I don't listening to that. Something to do with faith, or finding faith, or maybe the pushiness of it. Because in a way, I feel he kind of feels that, like Olin and at the Dolphin and all of that. It's kind of like, yeah, you, you're just playing here. You're an evangelical kind of. Yeah, come and see what's going on at the hotel. It's all creepy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder if there's an, a slight element of of that. Could be. Um, yeah, because it's all about the show. It's all exactly all about the show, the smoke and mirrors, the um and here and he's very much saying that I'm the complete opposite of that. I'm grounded in reality and and pain and the reality of life and life sucks. And that's just all about the show. And these people are falling for it, just as people fall for, you know, ghosts and hauntings and supernatural occurrences. At the end of the day, it's all just bill paying and it helps you get more bookings. Mm. Maybe then. I don't know. Maybe. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think there's an argument to be made mm. there. 
Yeah, yeah there's definitely a, a case for that. So when we spoke uh, on our previous podcast episode, we were talking about the road virus um, and we did say, well, what were the books that our main character trips on and falls on that lead to his demise or lead to him falling down the stairs? And there's a couple of Stephen King hardbacks and we kind of we weren't sure what they were. Um, and the brilliant Stacy wrote in and put us out of our misery and the books are pet cemetery and the tommy knockers thank you thank you stacy oh that's such a relief to know that it shouldn't be but it is <laughs> yes <laughs> so thank you so much for your eagle eye and as always in particular your awesome support you're such a wonderful champion of the of the show and um and of the br- brilliant instagram community always sharing posts and sharing our episodes and, and 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 sharing your your love for it so yeah you know what this episode stacy this is devoted to you danke bitter so Sai, we've um well listen we lasted more than 70 minutes in room 1408 that's no problem <laughs> Yeah, but I'm feeling the need to leave right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We've we've done about ninety minutes, eighty minutes, ninety minutes. But yeah, I, I think maybe we should quit while we're ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, push our luck. Yeah, and let's not go for the express checkout uh, service. Okay, I think we'll just um, yeah, we'll, we'll just we'll... take our time, nice, nice and chilled. We've got no <laughs> hurry. <laughs> So I, again, I could not think of anyone I would rather uh, spend time in such spooky surroundings as than your good fine self talking about superstitions, dreams, realities, waves, hippy dippy shit and all the stuff in between. Um, Thank you, as always, my friend. Thank you very much for joining us uh, in room 1408. We bid you farewell. Both of us here, Commando Bond and ooh, seven. King Size was written and presented by Matt Robinson and Simon Balkan. Edited and produced by Matt Robinson. Music, Storm Coming by Last Picture Show, available on Spotify. Find us on Instagram at King Size Podcast. If you like what you hear, please drop us a review and subscribe to the show.